0: Well, welcome everyone. I'm Dr. Carmen Pugliafito, host today on Retina Synthesis, and we have a distinguished guest, Farhina Ali, who is Assistant Professor of Ophthalmology at New York Medical College. Welcome to Retina Synthesis, Farhina.
1: Hi, Carmen. Thank you so much for having me.
0: You gave a, uh, a very interesting talk at the ASRS annual meeting about aflibercept monthly injections in diabetic macular edema, real world experience. Can you tell us about the study and its design?
1: For sure, so thank you for the for the kind words. Um, our study looked at the impact of the initial monthly doses of patients receiving aflibercept injections with a new diagnosis of diabetic macular edema in routine clinical practice. So we captured this information through the Vestrum database. Um, as you know, it was founded in 2014. It's an electronic health records data analytics provider in the retina space. It was initially founded actually by retina specialists, but it, but most importantly, it allows us to mine our medical records to capture trends and associations at a very large scale that historically we had not been able to do prior to databases like this and the Irish registry, for example. Um, and so that is generally the, the thought process behind the study and kind of the tools that we had available to us. But I think more importantly, we've known for some time through real world studies, that our patients receiving anti-VEGF are undertreated, and especially those with diabetic macular edema. And so we've seen in the past associations between the degree of visual improvement and the number of injections that patients receive and not surprisingly well validated now through large scale real world data that there is an association between the number of injections that we received and how much visual and anatomic gains that patients can have. So this was a study uh, in collaboration with Regeneron and uh, Rishi Singh of the Cleveland Clinic. And we looked at factors associated with the initial monthly dosing and the impact on visual and anatomic outcomes at 12 months. Um, So these were newly diagnosed patients, 2015 to 2021, 25,000 eyes captured, and primarily looking at mean change in visual acuity, central subfield thickness, and then baseline factors associated with vision gains at one year, and also associated with receiving a higher number of injections. So that is the broad overview of the study.
0: Well, 25,000 eyes, that's amazing.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, these databases are very powerful. And so we're able to understand more nuance than in smaller retrospective studies, for example. What we did with our study design is we broke the patients up of the 25,000 into three groups. So group one were those that had received one to two injections, group two, three injections, and group three, at least four, so four or greater during the 16-week period following their initial first injection with a two-week grace period so kind of looking at that early what sometimes is described as, as a loading period uh low uh, particularly with respect to clinical trial design um, and so what we saw was that in terms of the degree of retinopathy so for the patients with PDR we saw a, dec- a decreasing proportion receiving more injections across the groups and for severe and moderate nPDR an increasing proportion so in other words more patients receiving more injections with that slightly lesser degree of retinopathy. And we can imagine a number of factors might be associated with this, specifically with respect to under-treatment for patients with PDR. Um, In terms of those patients in group one, those are our patients that were receiving just one to two injections. We saw some concerning things, which is that they had a longer time from diagnosis to treatment. They had fewer visits more breaks in their treatment and more losses to follow up compared to those receiving more injections. Um, We also saw in terms of vision, slightly decreased across the groups and central subfield thickness increased across those groups. Now, in terms of looking at the associations when controlling for other factors of receiving fewer injections, we saw female gender as as an important role as well as age less than 65. Now for those receiving a higher number of injections associations that were worse vision, um, as well as severe NPDR, central subfield thickness of greater than 300 and also the presence of fluid in total when we saw that with increasing injections there were better vision and anatomic gains both during that loading period but also at the end of the study period which was a one-year study and increasing trends for gaining 5, 10, 15 letters with more injections. Um, And I think a really important finding in my mind Uh, is that we saw that eyes that had received at least four injections, so most paralleling clinical trial design, had a 49% higher chance of gaining 15 years, uh, 15 letters, not 15 years, 15 letters at year one, which is very powerful. And we also saw that after that initial dosing period of the 16 weeks, that each injection thereafter was associated with an 8% higher likelihood of gaining vision. So, in my opinion, a lot of this work really kind of validates what we might think in clinical practice that, okay, if we treat more patients do better, but it's important to be able to validate that at a larger level with data. Um, But also, I think if we think about our treatment uh, course, more mirroring clinical trial designs, patients will do better. And most importantly, now, now we have more treatment options available and we've ironed out a variety of operational issues with delivering anti-VEGF treatments over the course of several years in our clinics. And we're at this sweet spot where there's potential new medications on the horizon, but we also have the opportunity to understand the true potential of medications that we have and what gains specifically we, we may be leaving on the table with under treatment.
0: The Diabetic Retinopathy Network mm-hmm. model really recommends about seven injections a a year. Uh, Do you have a sense of what percentage of patients had that number of injections?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. I I had a feeling you might ask that. I don't have that aggregate data for the one year, but as I was reviewing it, I was wondering the same thing. My suspicion is that it would be similar to what we've seen in the IRIS database, which is not seven and often more closer to four to six, um, which is, you know, a finding we see over and over in terms of citing the under treatment that that we observe in the real world with diabetic macular edema patients in the IRIS registry analyses we do know that the neovascular amd patients do a little bit better in terms of number of injections but i believe the number for dme patients in iris is four to six in that year one i'll have to look back at our data to remind myself What we saw as average treatment number for the one year we were primarily focusing on our analyses that we reported, uh, looking at the initial monthly dosing period, but I can, I can let you know what that number is I'll check back with our group.
0: What. Can you speculate on the cause of the infrequent injections.
1: Yeah, I think um, we've long thought about what this may be related to, and a variety of a, a variety of things can be at play. Um, you know, so first of all, our diabetic macular edema patients tend to be younger; they're often working age, and that can limit their ability to come in very regularly for injections every month, or even uh, you know anywhere from four to eight week intervals. Um, so that's a factor. Of multiple comorbidities, particularly if they have. Up to severe degrees of retinopathy, there are likely maybe other things going on in their bodies for sure. But I also think you know there are there can be issues related to scheduling, uh, definitely on on our kind of practice side um, and other sort of more practical factors like that. Um, but I think in in our diabetic patients, more commonly we anchor around their busy lifestyles and multiple comorbidities. Um, and that's why, you know, the hope is we have we have we, you know, we now have treatments that last a bit longer. And in the future we may have treatments that last even much longer than what we have now. And I think that really will help these patients that um you know are not s- so well able to Kind of manage all the multiple medical problems that they have, and on the retina side, we can relieve one of those issues a bit by saying, "Well, we're giving you a treatment that lasts so much longer, and in that interim, hopefully, you're you're able to focus on all of the other things that may be going on in your life, particularly with your with your health."
0: Well, it's um, an interesting approach to understanding why increasing durability and decreased treatment burden. Is of tremendous practical importance.
1: Definitely, definitely, and I th- and you know I'm I'm hopeful for treatments that are in the pipeline that may give us more time and also allow us to study to you know to, to study their long term effects in the real world as well.
0: Do you want to speculate about aflibercept eight milligrams and faricimab in the new world of diabetic macular edema?
1: For sure, so farisimab is, you know, commercially available since January of 2022. So we have over, you know, you know, getting it in our hands and all of that. We have over a year of information on that. And there's been real world studies like the Truckee study, the far retina AMD and DME studies, which use the IRIS uh, database, which I've spent some time working on. And what, we, what we've seen already so far with farisimab is that providers have felt comfortable based on, I think, the clinical trial data to switch their patients, probably their more refractory patients, to forisimab and extending their dosing interval sort of very quickly. So in other words, we've seen that most of the patients that were initially receiving forisimab were not treatment naive. They had received prior treatments. Most oftenly, they had been switched from Aflibirceps. And within one to two injections, providers were extending their intervals six weeks or greater. Um, so that, that gives you a sense for the degree of confidence in the product based on the clinical trial results, the safety profile, which is of course very important and the comfort with with administering the drug in that respect. Now, in terms of high dose ilea, we don't yet have that in our hands for sure, but the clinical trial data has been very promising in terms of durability. Most recently at the ASRS meeting we saw you know, percentage, impressive percentage of patients with treatment intervals of Q20 and even Q24 weeks. Now, of course, we see those numbers in clinical trials based on clinical trial design and allowance for retreatment criteria. Um, but nonetheless, uh, I think though, those are promising, you know, very promising findings that as retina specialists, we're of course want to going to want to have the medication in our hands and see how it works in the real world. So, I think that we're, you know, with the rollout of these drugs, we're also, you know, in, in a time period in which we have access to these, to these databases. So the for retina, AMD, and DME studies, we looked at the first nine months of patients getting this drug, which we weren't really able to do at such a large scale when we had our prior treatments. So we're going to learn a lot very quickly uh, with the high-dose aflibercept, too, I'll imagine.
0: Intensive treatment is important. Top-line conclusion. Sure.
1: Yes, definitely. That is the top line conclusion.
0: And it will be very interesting to repeat this study in a few years.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely. I would agree with that. And I think we'll have more tools to be able to do that with Bestroom Database, Iris Registry, and uh, that'll provide us with some important information.
0: Well, Farina, this was a wonderful conversation. Very valuable for our audience. Thanks for joining us on Retina Synthesis.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day.